Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, great opportunity for us to come together and celebrate uh, this first week of Advent. It's incredible how fast time flies during the coronavirus. I uh, do want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Psalm 33. That'll be where we'll be this morning, Psalm 33. And uh, before we uh, get into uh, the, the text and the sermon, I do want to invite you to our December 9th Christmas tree, uh, multiple other words service uh, that we're going to be having outdoors. It'll be a Christmas tree uh, worship service. This will be in place of our Chrismon service. We are going to light a real tree, uh, and so it'll be a great chance. We'll have some singing, and there'll be a message. Uh, there will even very possibly be a Charlie Brown Christmas watching uh, after that service. So, uh, so we'll stay socially distanced, but we'll have a great opportunity to uh, celebrate uh, the season. want to encourage you for that. And I also want to encourage you, starting tomorrow, we're going to have a Advent devotional every day until Christmas. Uh, we're going to be walking through the storyline of Scripture and showing how it points to the coming of Christ and so I want to encourage you to chime in uh, on our devotions. You can subscribe to our uh, Rivermont EPC YouTube page. You can also uh, check our website. We'll have them posted there uh, every day. So as we do continue today, I want to remind us that we're in Advent. And this season of Advent is a season of waiting, waiting in hope of the coming of Christ. This Sunday, we start the Advent season on hope. And this is a very pertinent time where we need to hear the good news of the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus. You could say that the whole story of scripture helps us rest our hope in Jesus and his arrival. It's longing for the Savior to come. And the whole Bible from beginning to the end teaches us how to wait with hope. I mean, think about the Bible, how much waiting is actually happening. Abraham waits till age 100 to have a child. Israel waits 400 years in bondage under Egypt before going to the promised land. The Israelites wait 40 years wandering through the wilderness before getting to that land. And then they spend 70 years waiting in exile for discipline due to their idolatry and sin. And then when they return to the land waiting with expectation for the coming Christ, they wait another 400 years until Jesus comes on the scene in Israel to save them from all their sins. And during this COVID-19 season, we've waited over eight months under the restrictions, the challenges, the fears of this virus. And we're wondering, is there any end in sight or is the line going to be moved further out from us? You see, during this Advent season, we wait with God's people. We, we enter into those expectations of waiting for Jesus And so there's so much excitement as we count down the days to Christ's birth. And especially now in this time, we need to wait with excitement. But the waiting can often leave us feeling fatigued, can it? Especially when the journey is long and hard. We are often not waiting in padded, protected rooms free from suffering. But we wait in a world where there is immense suffering. We wait in the wilderness where life is confusing, where God feels distant, and where hope seems elusive. This waiting can quickly turn into despair as we feel life is meaningless and lonely and we feel powerless to do anything about it. Waiting can also leave us frenzied when we expect everything to give us immediate gratification. 
I mean, think about all the devices we use. An iPhone, we swipe from one thing to the next. With the power of a simple touch, we're taken to everywhere we want to go, right when we want to go there. Think about TV streaming. We can watch any episode whenever we want. We can even fast forward through commercials. In Amazon same-day delivery, I know many of us have made a purchase. Maybe you're waiting till Monday. And you will expect that to come in two days max. And you'll hear a complaint if not. You see, we have a hard time waiting, especially waiting with hope. So how do we do this? How do we wait with hope in the Lord? Well, Psalm 33 is really set up to teach us how to wait with confidence in God. But Psalm 33, 20 through 22 gives a point to that waiting. And it says this, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love be upon us, even as we hope in you. Psalm 33 teaches us that we can wait with hope because we trust in God's holy name. So hear now the reading of God's word in Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsels of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his steadfast love. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Let's pray. Lord God, we do come to you desperately in need of a word of hope. We desperately come to your presence knowing that you are the God of all might and power, the God of all love and grace. We know that in Jesus Christ we have a Savior who has come and who will come again to bring hope to this world. We pray, O God, that you would ground our hope in Jesus. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see the good news of the gospel through your scriptures, that we might encourage one another and be encouraged by the hope we have in Christ. Help us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
The show This Is Us is a tragic show longing for hope. Jack and Rebecca Pearson expect triplets until they find the devastating news that they lost a child in the birth. Working through the pain of this loss, they were made to encourage and to find hope and trust and to move from sour lemons into lemonade. A doctor encouraged them to make the most of this trial and this challenge. And so they did. They sought to find hope in the midst of the sadness. That same day, an African-American man dropped off his newborn child named Randall at a local fire station. He surrendered this child out of fear of raising him with his drug issues and challenges. Like a Disney movie happy ending, the Pearsons decided to adopt Randall as their son and almost as a replacement to the one they lost. This picture book story comes to a tragic downturn when Jack sacrifices his life to protect his family. The happy story turns after this deeply wounding event rattles this family to the core. And every one of these children have a gaping wound in their heart as they await the sad news of their father's death. Tragically, Randall Pearson suffers the loss of two fathers, one to drugs and the other to the flames of sacrifice. His wife seeks to comfort him with a word of hope that she learned from her father. She says, it is the tragedies that define our lives. They are the fence posts on which the rest of our lives hang. Our lives just hang there between these two really sad fence posts. You see, this is the story of tragedy that secularism teaches us. That our only hope is to make something of the two tragedies, the tragedy of life and the tragedy of death. But the story of Scripture tells us that this world is not a story of tragedy. But it's a story that moves from glory to glory. It is a story that begins in God's good creation and awaits the day of final restoration of all things. This is not to make light of the tragedies we face daily in a world marred by sin and suffering. But our life is not defined by our tragedies, but by our hope in the face of tragedy. Sure, there are real tragedies, and we must take these seriously, but we must take Christ and His cross and His resurrection all the more seriously, because these real tragedies are not the end of the story. They are the plot line that is being redeemed by the work of Jesus, and one day will have its end. And if we will have hope in the tragedies of life, we must not only know the story of hope, but as the psalm says, we must sing it out. We must shout aloud. We must sing a new song. It takes more than simple words. We must bring out all of our instruments and play about this hope. Because our glorious God of hope has come. And He will and has rescued this world. If we will wait with hope, we must first see that the Lord leads us by His counsel. You see, despair makes us think that life has no meaning. And if the world has no meaning in it, then my insignificant life also is meaningless. This means there is no purpose in my pain. There is no direction in my distress. There is no relief from the ruin in the world. Richard Dawkins sums up the story of despair and tragedy when he says, The universe we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. For nature, heartless, witless nature, will neither care nor know. 
DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is and we dance to its music. But the world is not driven by pitiless indifference. The domination of the strong and the defeat of the weak. No, we know in the scriptures that the world is governed by the wise counsel of our God who is loving. Psalm 33 verse 4 through 5 says this. It says we ought to sing a song. We ought to play skillfully with loud shouts. And why should we do this? For the word of the Lord is upright. And all of his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. You see, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. It's brimming with hope. It has evidence of God's goodness and his grace because he made it by the power of his word, by the breath of his mouth. This shows off the loving nature of God's good creation, that he commanded this world into creation by the word of his mouth. Personal communication, personal worlds brought about this word, this world. And just as he breathed life into Adam, he breathed life into the creation. This world is beaming with love. But this word of the Lord is not only the word by which he creates, but it is his sovereign decree by which he has determined all things in his creation. He has not only said this word and, and, and has governed this word, which is upright, but he works out this word in perfect faithfulness. In other words, he executes his plan without failure one bit. From all eternity, this loving God has planned out the course of this world. And day by day, he is working out his providence in this creation. And since the word of the Lord is upright, we can be assured that the government of God in this creation is governed with perfect providence. You see, we cannot see God as one coax, like so many world leaders are coaxed to follow the evil designs of other world leaders. He will not be driven to injustice or to make decisions to benefit a few and to hurt others and many. No, God is a trustworthy leader because he loves righteousness and justice. He leads the world by the integrity of his moral character and the equity of his justice. And though God governs all creation by his word, not everyone submits to God's creation. We see in Psalm 2 that nations rage and kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed king. But Psalm 3310, look there real quick. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. As a loving sovereign over all of his creation, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. His plans and his heart to all generations. And verse 12 declares that this is especially true for God's people. Blessed are those whose God is the Lord, whom he has chosen as his heritage. You see, we have many reasons to stand in hope in times of distress. Because we know that our sovereign God in all of his plans, in all of his providence, is leading this world that we live in. You see, God is prevailing in his providence. Nothing will hinder his purposes. And by trusting God's prevailing providence, we have hope even in the face of great tragedies and injustices, that he can even turn those toward good. We see this hope illustrated in the life of Joseph. We see in Joseph's life how he is working together every part toward the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Do you remember the story? Joseph has a dream and God lifts his eyes up to the heavens and he sees that there are stalks of grain that come up and all these stalks bow down to the one stalk which represents him. 
He is taken to the cosmos and planets are bowing down to him. He remembers and is told that he will arrive at a place of prosperity and authority. The Lord lifts him up in this dream, but he was knocked down by his brothers as they threw him into a pit and sold him as a slave. But the Lord was with him in that pit and in that slavery, and he succeeded. And the Lord made him an overseer of Potiphar's house. The Lord lifted him up, but he was knocked down to prison as Potiphar's wife accused him falsely of adultery. The Lord was with him in this prison, and he succeeded. And he was given charge of all the prisoners. The Lord lifted him up, and he was knocked down yet again, as his fellow prisoners failed to vouch for him when they left the prison. And though he was lonely in this prison, the Lord was with him, and he succeeded. The Lord lifted him up to Pharaoh, and after interpreting his dream, Pharaoh set Joseph over all the land of Egypt, fulfilling the dream that the Lord had determined. You see, Joseph trusted the counsel of the Lord and his prevailing providence. The Lord frustrated the plans of all of Joseph's enemies. And he will do that for us, his people, so that he might prove that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. His plans to every generation. As he says in Genesis fifty twenty, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result to keep many alive as they are today. And trusting in God's prevailing providence, Joseph even blessed and provided for the family that deserted him. You see, when we trust in the Lord who leads us by his counsel, we can have great security no matter the circumstances. Every ache and pain in your body, every cancer diagnosis, every attack of persecution, and even death itself will one day come to nothing and be frustrated. Because the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, we can rest in God's grace. And simply trust his plan. Because we know even the Lord Jesus was knocked down as he was nailed to the tree. And the Lord lifted him up in the resurrection to give life to this dying world. When we trust in the Lord who leads us, we no longer run from trials. But ask, what is God's plan in this trial? What is the Lord accomplishing in me and in the world through this? How might I find gladness in God in my suffering? Secondly, we hope in the Lord because he sees us with his favor. When despair settles in and we lose hope, we feel very lonely. We feel like no one really cares or understands. No one can connect with the pain that we feel so deeply. Our life resonates with Psalm 88 when the psalmist says, You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. We feel as though no one sees us. And this Advent season, if we were to wait with hope, we must see the Lord who sees us with his favor. Look at verse 13 through 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. See, this text affirms that the Lord sees us from on high. Notice the the text says that he looks down. This makes us know that the Lord is high up. He is located high above the heavens. But have you ever thought about why is the Lord in the heavens? Why do we always look up at God? That is because he is exalted over everything as king over his creation. And from his height, he oversees all things in the creation. Nothing escapes his sight. This encourages us when we feel alone because of oppression. 
We know that no unkind word spoken by the mouth, no murder by the hand, no unjust action by any ruler under his feet, and no evil thought will ever escape the sight of our God. From his high position, he sees and holds under judgment all of our actions done in sin. And this encourages us because we know that the Lord will make it right in the end. You see, all will suffer punishment for sin unless we trust in Jesus as our justice substitute. And this sobers us because we realize our sin, our deeds, the Lord sees us in judgment. For the wages of sin is death. And our only hope of life is that the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Instead of heaping judgment on others, we realize our own need of mercy. and We cry out to Jesus to forgive us. That he might give us his perfect record for our failing record. That he might take our death in our place. That he might give us the resurrection hope of trust in him. The Lord not only sees us by his favor, but he also looks down on us as his beloved children. And this is only because he looks on Jesus with judgment that he might look on us with grace. You see, the scripture says later on in this verse, in verse 18, that the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. He is on those who hope in his steadfast love. You see, earlier this eye was the eye of judgment where he sees all things and holds all inhabitants accountable for their actions. But here we see God is focusing with laser focus on his people to bless, to care for, to provide for. And this communicates to us that the Lord looks at us with love and care. Even when we feel alone in our pain and our sadness, we can know that the Lord himself sees us and we are seen by him. But isn't this a bit of an odd word or metaphor to use to encourage us in our fears? I mean, wouldn't it be better for God to use a strong arm or a mighty body, something that's a little stronger than an eye? I mean, what can an eye do to save you? What can an eye do when you come up against a strong arm and mighty strength? And I would have said the same thing until I had a daughter about four months ago. Because I can tell you this, that when Ellie is crying in tears, her eyes gaze around the room and she is looking with intent to find what will calm her. And Ellie does not look at my feet to come quickly to her need. Ellie does not look at my muscles to see if I have enough strength to care for her. Ellie's eyes look for my eyes to know that I love her and her sadness. You see, we look to the Lord who sees us. And when we know that the Lord sees us, it encourages us to know that he will be with us to the end. For if God had quick feet to sweep us up before the sting of our trials, but he had not the eyes of love, we would never know that he was moving toward us in our direction. If God had strong arms to destroy all of our enemies fully, but had not the eyes of love, we would never know that he wants to deliver us. But if God first and foremost looks at us with the eyes of love, then we can know that his feet move toward us with the strength of grace to save us in our suffering and to give us hope in our trials. Therefore, the psalm ends with this request. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Because God's steadfast love endures forever, we can know that he will see us by his favor. We can know that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We can know that even our uphill battle with habitual sin will not turn his love from us. No, we are secure in the love of our Savior. 
As Psalm 34, 5 affirms, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Lastly, if we will wait with hope, we must trust the Lord who protects us by his power. You see, one of the greatest fears we face when despair settles in is this feeling of powerlessness that makes us feel stuck in the same place forever. It seems like the darkness will never leave and that we will be utterly defeated by despair. Death is around the corner calling our name. We try to curb this feeling of powerlessness by looking for something powerful enough to fight or something powerful enough to flee. The psalm addresses our tendency to manage our powerlessness in verse 16 through 17. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by his great might, he cannot save. Many of us who are fearful first look around us. We look for someone who can come through for us. We look for mom and dad to rescue us, to keep us from the boo-boos and the bruises. We look for a friend or a friend group that can come and sweep us up and save us from the hardship. But the problem is that not every single person will save us every single time. We let down one another all the time. And that's the sad story of living in community. But when no one is around us and we're stuck to ourselves, we start looking inward and we ask, what is my power? What is my strength? What can I do? What are my abilities, my intellect, my moral fiber? What hope do I have to overcome this trial? The mighty warrior looks to his muscles to deliver. The moralist legalist looks to his works to save. But both miss the fact that we are both finite and fallen. That we are limited and full of sin. We are not omnipotent and blameless. We need the Lord's grace and mercy in Christ, our Savior. And when there is no power outside of us and no power inside of us, we look for something to get us out of this mess. But even the war horse is a false hope for salvation. Despite its great strength, it cannot rescue. We cannot avoid hardship or sin. But we desperately want deliverance from both. But the eye and love of the Lord are on us. And for what purpose? Look at the text. To deliver our soul from death and to keep us alive in famine. You see, the greatest fear that despair presents is the fear of death itself. The fear of death paralyzes us so that we might as well already be in the grave because we have a hard time moving forward. Maybe worse than death is the fear of continuing in life in desperate conditions. And this is what the text means by a famine, this pandemic lack of food and resources that leaves us longing for more, but never finding the food that we crave. Because of the coronavirus this Advent, we face both death and famine. Many of us know people that have died due to this virus, or at least we hear about it often in the news, and this has really bursted the bubble of our lives to realize we all will die one day. Secularism tries to make us think that we can control our life, that we can contain ourselves and avoid death altogether. But no one on the face of this earth will avoid death. It's true for all of us. In this coronavirus, we've lost many things that we have loved and held dear. Those prized moments of fellowship and connection across the table with friends that we love. Worship in a building with people that are family to us. We have lost many of the habits and routines and rhythms and stores that we've enjoyed. You could say that in some ways God has us in the middle of a famine. And the question we must ask is, what is the Lord doing in this famine in your family? Parents, what is the Lord doing in your heart as you parent your children through this famine? 
So why do we hope in the Lord? Well, in desiring God, John Piper reminds us, because when you hope in God, you show that he is strong and you are weak, that he is rich and you are poor, that he is full and you are empty. And when you hope in God, you show that you are the one that has needs, not God. You are the patient and he is the doctor. You are thirsty, the thirsty deer in the forest, and he is the wellspring of life. You are the lost sheep and he is the good shepherd. You see, this Advent season, we must remember that Christ came to die, that we might have hope in death. For Hebrews 2.14 reminds us, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So no longer let despair enslave you in the fear of death, but wait with hope in Jesus. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and listen, lives that death may die. Perhaps the reason that many of us love the TV show, This Is Us, is because Jack Pearson is the father we all long to have and to never lose. He spent quality time with his kids. He spoke confidence to their insecurities. He worked hard to provide for his family. He endured through trials by looking for lemonade behind every lemon. He worked hard at honesty and sobriety in his alcoholism. And no one knows how to have a good time like Jack Pearson. You see, his children grieved his death so much because he was full of such love. But every good father is like a crooked arrow pointing toward the Heavenly Father and his love for us. The Father who sent His Son, Jesus, to bring hope to this dying world by dying in our place. And so this Advent season, let us look up to the God who looks over us, trusting that He leads us by His counsel. He sees us with His favor and ultimately protects us by His power through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Come, Lord Jesus. Deliver us. Save us. Come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have come. We thank you that by the sovereign decree of your perfect will, you're working everything, even the dark and hard things in our life, toward our good. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you see us in love and that you came down to rescue us. We thank you that you protected us, not by protecting your life, but by giving your life that we might be saved. Help us to trust in you in this season that we might look with the eyes of hope and love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.